0: This episode of the How a Car Washing is sponsored by High Performance Wash Systems. High Performance Wash Systems is the largest car wash distributor and supplier in the Rocky Mountain region, specializing in providing car wash equipment and supplies. From start to finish, they assist owners with building and maintaining their car washes. Visit hpws.com for more information. Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Okay, this is David Begin,
1: and my host today will be Dan Sullivan. He's the founder and president of Strategic Coach, which is an entrepreneurial training organization Dan's had over 35 years experience and is highly regarded as a speaker, consultant, strategic planner and coach to entrepreneurial individuals and groups. Dan has a strong belief and commitment in the power of the entrepreneur. He considers the entrepreneur to be his hero and is evident in all areas of strategic coach. Dan's published over 30 books. He publishes a book every quarter, which I think I'll get him to talk about as well. And his partner, Babs Smith, is his partner in business and life that helps him in strategic coach. And they both own and operate strategic coach with offices in Toronto, Chicago, and the United Kingdom. And workshops are held in many different locations in the country, including Los Angeles and Vancouver. And Dan resides in Toronto. So it's an absolute pleasure to have Dan Sullivan with us today. Dan has been my Coach indirectly and directly for the past six years, and I appreciate him and what he's done. So, Dan, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: My pleasure, David. I can just imagine that the place where you're living right now has better views than mine does.
1: (laughs) A little bit, yeah. We've got some nice views. We've had some great weather here in Colorado Springs, and uh, we're expecting some snow during the weekend, but. It's certainly a great place to live. I want you to tell everybody a little bit about the studio you have, because I know we've got some people who are our podcasters, and I think yeah. you've hit the jackpot as far as studios are concerned. And I've been down there, so would you kind of explain a little bit what you've got access to there?
2: You know, it's no achievement on our part, but there's this interesting relationship between Hollywood and Toronto that when the American dollar is real strong against the Canadian dollar, which is the case right now, Hollywood will take the post-production work, which usually has to do with the editing process, and moves it to Toronto to facilities because they can get so much more bang for the buck. During the 1990s, the American dollar went as high as $1.55 against the Canadian dollar. So you can imagine if you're a producer, you get an extra 55 cents value out of your dollar if you move it to Toronto. Right now, it's about $1.35, which is excellent. So you have these really state-of-the-art studios that were built, but they're creatures of the currency exchange. So we've been here in this building since the early 90s, and we got a call one day from our landlord and said, you know, because the Canadian dollar had gone up and actually worth more than the American dollar at a certain point in the... 08, downturn, that the studio had gone bankrupt, the company had gone bankrupt. So we came down, it was fantastic, you know, a state-of-the-art, I think they had put a million and a half just in the build-out, he said, do you have any use for <laughs> this space? And meanwhile, we were having to travel across town and wait in line for a studio, just to get stuff done, and so we got it for like $11 a square foot because they really couldn't do anything with the space. You can't rent it out to anybody else, and they'd have to tear it all up. It's basement space, so it's just not worth theirs. So we just locked them in, and we've got four studios, some in the main one right now. So we're able, with electronic equipment, the recording equipment, what might have cost a half a million dollars 20 years ago, now you can get it for $25,000 first-class quality, and we have our own dedicated sound technician and everything. So we turn out a lot of work. It's not just me. It's other members of my company who do a lot of studio work. We have turned one of the audio studios into a video studio and everything else. But it's just beautiful for where we are as a company right now to have this capability. We really value it, and we really maximize the value of it.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. And I guess one of the studios is a separate, it's on springs or it's in a separate box? or
2: Yeah, they call it a floater. It's a floating studio. So you can be in the studio and we're on a minor earthquake fault line and there was an earthquake in Toronto while I was recording upstairs books fell off shelves you know and things jiggled around not like california mm-hmm. that type of earthquake but you know enough to shake it but i felt nothing in the studio you wouldn't feel anything you could have a major earthquake and i wouldn't feel anything in the studio because it's vibration free yeah for the type of work that hollywood does they can't really be subject to any kind of minor fault whatsoever it has to be perfect the studio was built to produce that type of result.
1: That's tremendous, and you've got a great asset down there, and you're producing quite a few podcasts yourself. Do you want to give us a quick overview?
2: I have five series, and by the end of the year, my goal is to have eight and because I love the medium. I was introduced to it, and it took me almost a year to really get comfortable with it. But then you know, one day I said, well, just talk. You don't have to give a presentation or anything. And I said, it's not good if you're giving a presentation. It has to be informal. It has to be back and forth. And the biggest thing for me, David, is I don't want to know what you have on your mind before you start talking because I want to just be kind of responsive when I get into the talk. So I don't really know how this podcast is going to go. And those really make the best podcasts. Once I understood that, then it was very easy for me. But I do like having a partner. You know, I like going back and forth with a partner. I have one of my own, but they're much shorter. They're like five to eight minutes, which is cool. But I couldn't do a half hour of me just talking to a microphone. On your own. No. And I
1: thought it was very interesting that you didn't want any preparation questions because you feel like you do better on the fly.
2: You know, it's one of the fundamental building blocks David, in the Strategic Coach program is that we use an outside profiling system called Colby, which is really a work of genius. It's by Kathy Colby, who has created a question and answer profile that people take, it takes about twenty minutes, and it identifies how you actually take action to get results. You know, if you're given freedom to get a result, how do you actually take action. Some people, you know, need to do a lot of research first. Some people need to create a system first. I'm one of those people that needs no preparation. And the way I get a result is I go into action to get the result. Now that's in terms of what I do every day, you know, in my company, you know, whether it's coaching or whether it's creating things. But it's especially important for me in the Podcast role that I don't do any preparation because first of all, you know i'm seventy two years old and I got seventy two years of preparation in my head, so I don't need any any more you know I have hundreds of very interesting stories, I have lots of very interesting concepts, and I have access to them, so I don't need any more preparation to that, but I'm going to use what's crucial and what's significant that fits into your game plan for the podcast because you know your listeners i don't know your listeners right so you're the one who has to guide me you're the one who's going to choose which topics are going to be of most interest you know i just want you to be the director and guide and i'll respond to you
1: that's great so what attribute of colby allows you not to prep. Is it the quick start?
2: Yeah, it's the quick start. And they they have a scoring system from one to 10. And 10, I mean, you you came out of the womb this way. I mean, I was a quick start out of the womb, you know, when I was born, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I was an action guy, you know, right from the start, I've been an action guy. My mom said, When I was six months old, she walked into the nursery and I was standing there with a smile on my face and I had stood up and I was figuring out how to get out of the crib. She said, I was always very, very ambitious. I was fast to stand up. I was fast to walk. I was fast to climb. I like going into action and I like just responding to situations the moment that they arise. Now, Here's the thing, not everything in a business can be approached that way. There are some things that really do need great preparation. There are things that really do need that you put proper systems in place before you start the action. So that's why teamwork is important, you know, and the Colby will actually identify the other team members. And I'm happy to pitch the Colby system, if you just go to colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com, We have no financial agreement with them, but we've been responsible for a half a million people going through this profile system just because we think it's terrific information for people to know about how they will take action and what their teamwork around them will actually have to look like if they're going to be successful.
1: So how long have you used Colby at Strategic Coach? Because that's the first thing that I took when I signed on with Strategic Coach is I got a Colby score. That's part of my name tag, as I notice as I walk around Strategic Coach office, Mm -hmm. all the employees have their Colby score on their name tag.
2: Yeah, and they have it on their door. So when you're putting together a team, you want to make sure that all the different ways of taking action are represented on a team. Like Eleonora, who did all the setup for me, is sitting across the table from me. Eleonora is very, very strong in getting all the facts learning everything about it and then she's very very good at setting up all the actions that's going to make it successful so i can up until you know 15 minutes before our podcast started i can be doing something else and i can walk down to the studio and eleonora has everything ready for me because i'm not good at the two things that i just mentioned that where she's excellent at Eleonora might have a problem doing a podcast where there was no preparation and she was expected to respond for 45 minutes. At least I'm looking at her across the <laughs> table here, and she's indicating, indicating that that would That's probably be case. true, you know. That's the case. Yeah, and I would never put her in a situation where she had to do that, you know. One of the things is don't put people in situations where they can fail. Right. Yeah, you know, Where they, they won't have confidence. That goes for other people, but I try as much as possible not to put myself into situations where I would fail. Every entrepreneur who creates a company is actually designing their own game, as it were, where they can win. So as part of your design to win, don't put yourself in situations where you can lose. True,
1: true. So how has Colby changed the way your company operates? Have you seen a big difference between before you use Colby and after you use Colby?
2: Yeah, and I think you have to look at it, David, from two standpoints. You have your existing staff, and one of the things you've got to be very, very important is that people don't get the sense that by taking the test, they're going to put their job at risk. So you got to use some intelligence about how you introduce any kind of profiling thing. So what we're saying is what we want to do is that we want to use this profile to identify just what the ideal conditions are for you to feel capable and confident inside coach and also to wherever the teamwork has to be changed so that it works better for you. We want to identify that, and we want to identify who the best people in the company are for you to work on different kinds of projects. Okay, So you have to do it that way. And then the other thing is, because there's ongoing hiring, we're a growing company. So you asked the question. We started in 1991 with it, and it was a client of ours here in Toronto. He just swore by it. I heard about it in the morning, and I did it in the afternoon. You know, that's the way that I operate. You can do it online. And in those days, it must have been some sort of Internet connection, because I think we did it. would not be as easy as to do it today, but what happened is because all of our clientele are entrepreneurs, they started coming back with these test results, which are not dissimilar for mine, not uniformly, but we have a significant number of people who would have an action-first type of profile, quick-start profile, and it was Kathy Colby herself who noticed all these scores coming through with long quick-start scores, 7s, 8s, 9s, and 10s. And she said, who are these people? Because she deals mainly with corporations, and you wouldn't get that type of sort of overstressing a quick-start score. You know, you would get a lot of fact-finding. You'd get a lot of follow-through. She just noticed the difference, and she phoned, and she said, who are you? I said, all we're going to be sending you as owners of entrepreneurial companies in the first instance and then they'll send their teams and then you'll get probably the scores that you're used to and we formed a relationship and she wanted to give us special deals I said we don't want special deals we just want you to always be there (laughs) she's offered discounts and I said there's no discounts we will pay full price we value what you're doing and it's not that much anyway to get a full test for someone is fifty dollars today $50 is pretty cheap to ensure that you don't make a bad hire. Right. You know, bad hire costs you a lot more than $50. It's not foolproof, you know, like any other system because it doesn't test for character, it doesn't test for commitment, it doesn't test for a lot of things, but it does make sure that you're not making a disaster of putting someone that you think is really great and putting them into a wrong position. They can do it just because they want to make an impression, but they can't keep doing it. So uh, I just want to blueprint people for success right off the bat.
1: Sure. And it's really helped me. And I really appreciate the fact that we did that early on in coach.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. Okay. (laughs) You know, in fact, finding I'm a two, which is a short score. It's not high or low. They use shorter lawn. Right. And in follow through, I'm a two. So... You don't want me to be responsible for the background facts. You really don't want me to be in that position. And you don't want me to be the person who sets up how the whole thing is going to work and what the system looks like because I can guarantee you it's not going to work. If you want to get something started and you want something new, I'm the guy and I can do it from morning till night and I'll have more energy at night than I did in the morning. Doing new things and starting new things is an activity that actually gives me energy and actually gives energy to other people. They like being around me when to do it. And then there's another one, it's a fourth one which is called the implementer, which doesn't play a large role in most service businesses but it plays a huge role in technical businesses and where uh, people's use of their hands Think of a lot of healthcare, medical, scientific, anything in manufacturing. You want people who have really good hand skills, lots of activities, but not so much in service businesses. But it does play a part in things like our tech. We have a growing tech team and people with implementer. An implementer doesn't mean. Following through on things, that's follow through. Implementer is people who can demonstrate, and they have a gift for using their hands. Now, I have a four, which is probably more than most people would think that I need, but I'm an excellent artist, and I can do artwork. I can communicate my ideas with diagrams, and I'm naturally inclined to express things in a graphic form. Which I did before I learned how to talk. I could draw pictures before I learned how to talk as a kid. There you go. So I've always had that natural tendency when I'm explaining an idea, I'll draw a diagram with it. So it comes out naturally. If you have the Colby score, you don't have to gear yourself up to do it. You just do it naturally, which is really great if you can just put people in a position where it's just naturally what they do anyway. And they get a lot of energy out of it. So that's mine, two two ten four. Okay, over to you.
1: Yeah, and I actually have your score. I've kept your score because it's a fascinating one to know. There's a few people on Earth that have a ten, and that's going from one to ten. You're actually with Quick Start. You're a full on ten, and my score is seven two eight three, which is somewhat similar. In, or Fact Finders are different, but looking at your follow through and my follow through, it's exactly the same. And one of the things that helped me. In coach, it freed me up to realize that I always struggled with follow through. Yeah. And realizing my score, I said, you know what? It's not a core competency. It's not a strength of mine.
2: Well, you're never going to get better at it no matter how hard you would try. So it helped me try
1: to find people that could complement that. And so when I hire assistants, I try to find people with, with higher follow-through than I have.
2: But I tell you, I I'd trust you with money a lot more than I would trust me with money. Okay. Because of your seven fact finder. Your books would actually balance.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because I do tend to find out facts. I do want a lot of information when I do make decisions, mm-hmm. and that's part of that.
2: You know, after 26 years of Colby, we're seeing that the entrepreneurs who do the best job of scaling up actually have a profile closer to yours than to me.
1: Right, but you've done a great job of surrounding yourself with people to help you, and yeah. we're going to talk about that teamwork component of that. But Yeah, I've got a car wash site manager with a high implementer. He's a seven, and he's one of the few people I've found that I've got on my team that's a high implementer. But that's a great example of I need a guy that can be able to do maintenance and use his hands and use tools and fix equipment.
2: Well, not only that, he would come up with ideas on how to improve mechanical methods and that. You know, he would be very, very interested in trying out new technologies that come in your industry. I mean, every industry these days, is being improved by technology. So he would be the ideal person that I would want to actually test things out and try new things out.
1: Yeah, so he's he's a 7717, so it's an interesting mix for him.
2: Yeah. He does a
1: great job in that area. but
2: My operations manager in Chicago at the Chicago office is a 7717. Okay. The only thing you don't want him doing is improv comedy hour. You know, they have a hard time. Yeah, they, you know, I mean, if you want to see somebody look like they're staring death in the eyes, just ask them to get up in front of a crowd and actually just off the top, you know, talk. I mean, yeah, that's,
1: that's a, a good point. Yeah, they'd yeah.
2: walk across a minefield before they would do that.
1: <laughs> but that was the first thing I learned in coach that I think really helped me become more self aware of what I'm good at or what I'm not good at. The second thing, I think, the big concept that, I came across was the concept of unique ability. Mm -hmm. I I know you have a workshop and I did take the workshop a couple years ago. It's a one day workshop
0: where it was just focused on me really understanding my unique ability. This episode of the How a Car Washing is sponsored by High Performance Wash Systems. High Performance Wash Systems is the largest car wash distributor and supplier in the Rocky Mountain region, specializing in providing car wash equipment and supplies. Serving the industry for over 50 years, they are a full service provider assisting you with site selection, financial forecasting, obtaining financing, architect and general contractor selection, equipment recommendations, and follow on support. From start to finish, they assist owners with building and maintaining their car washes. Visit hpws.com for more information.
1: Can you explain to our audience a little bit about the concept of unique ability and why it's important for entrepreneurs to understand that?
2: Yeah, so the center purpose of Strategic Coach, it's called expanding entrepreneurial freedom. So our whole point is that if you've taken, it's an unusual step, you know, it's a fairly small percentage of people in the working years of their life who decide to start and grow their own business. It's only about 5% of the population. I don't think it ever gets smaller than 5%, but you know, in the 43 years that I've been coaching it, it hasn't gotten any bigger. I think the reason is, I think you're born with a temperament for this. I don't think it's something that you develop later in life. And I think it shows up in the earliness with which kids will go out and actually get a job to make money. There's a lot of kids that expect, first of all, they're supervised in such a way that they have to take this kind of training, sports, music, and extra academic thing. And so there's no time left for them to go out and just do that. But the entrepreneurial kid will rebel against that. And he'll say, I just want to go out and get a job and do something useful and make my own money. So they have this desire towards being in control financially from a fairly early age. And my first job where I was making money was probably about eight years old. And I find similar when I talk to the entrepreneurs in the program. So expanding entrepreneurial freedom is really the basis for our concept. And we just want to have an entrepreneur look at what they've created with their business and say, is it giving you the freedom that you've really taken all this risk for you know and the first freedom is freedom of time and freedom of time means do you have the freedom that when you're at work you get to spend your time the way you want to spend that time and is it enjoyable is it rewarding to you and then also that when you're not at work you have freedom just to enjoy yourself in all the different dimensions of your personal life and you don't have to worry about your business or think about your business when you're doing it. So there's two aspects to the freedom, but let's just talk about when they're at work. So does the work you do, being the owner and the founder of the business, is it enjoyable? Are you being rewarded or are you being worn out? Are you, is it causing you a lot of stress? Is it causing you a lot of frustration? And that's why profiles for like Colby, are so crucial to us. They're actually a dimension that we use in getting entrepreneurs to determine what their unique ability is. So the definition of a unique ability in strategic coach is that you're passionate about the activity. I'm passionate about talking. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to talk, but when I talked, I didn't stop. I'm almost hitting 70 years of talking nonstop. I love being in discussions with people. I love asking questions of people. I love finding out about people's experiences. I love finding out what people are learning from their experiences that they can pass on to other people. So anytime I'm talking, I'm being energized. You can't wear me out by talking some people can wear me out by talking just because they're not very interesting but in the (laughs) entrepreneurial sector most people are really interesting i love to hear their histories but the thing about that is you know i've got a fairly good conceptual ability i can take somebody's experience and i can actually kind of show them what their experience looks like and sort of say well did you ever look at it this way did you ever look at it that way And it's not that I know the answer, because I don't know the answer, but the person I'm asking the question of, they know the answer, because it's in their experience, they just haven't looked at it in the way that I'm recommending or directing them to look at it. So that's really what the coaching is, and the number one thing I go at is, how are you spending your time? First of all, does it make sense for you to be spending time at things you're not really very good at? We hit people with that right up front. And, you know, we have the ABC model in the company, and we just take three circles, big circle on the outside, and then there's sort of a middle circle and then a small circle. And we call them ABC, and A is activities that just irritate you. So I said, you know, let's be honest here. Let's just tell the truth. Right now, if I take a week right now, the way you're operating your business right now, what irritates you about doing it? And I say, don't say, I can't say it irritates me because there's nothing I can do about it because that's a trap. If you say that it irritates you, you'll find a solution to it. So you have to tell the truth about it. And then B is our activities that are just okay. They don't irritate you, but they don't light you up either. And then the third activities are activities that you really love. And generally for entrepreneurs, the C activity, the one we call fascinating and motivated, has to do with building new opportunities, building new capabilities, and it's usually about the future. Running the existing business is okay, and if they get bogged down in things that are actually an obstacle to their own personal growth, obstacles to growing the company, then that's very, very irritating to them. And we just do this simple, it's kind of like an audit, a time audit, and then we say, okay, there's three things that irritate you, three things that are okay, and three things that fascinate and motivate you. Now, what percentage of your time are you spending in each? And what kind of movement where every quarter, more and more, your total time as the entrepreneur, as the owner of the company, is moving into fascinating and motivating, which means other people have to do. See, the fact that something's irritating to you, David, does mean it's irritating to somebody else. Sure. Maybe the thing that they find very exciting, good, If it's exciting to them, let's have them do it instead of you doing it. Right. I mean, it seems really simple, but it requires courage. First of all, you have to tell the truth about it, and then the second thing is you have to have the courage to take decisions which actually might feel risky or feel uncomfortable. But I can show a person how to scale forever if they would just pay attention to that simple model at the beginning. We have other models, but that one's a very simple one because it constantly expands the freedom of time. Yeah, which
1: a lot of entrepreneurs tend to struggle with.
2: Yeah, yeah, and they struggle forever with it. If you measure where they are right now and you go five years into the future, it looks like nothing's changed. And they say, well, I only have to put up with it for another 10, 15 years, and then I'm going to retire. And I said, that's an old 1930s, 1940s concept. You don't have to retire. It's your game. Why do you have to retire from your game? Right. Why don't you just design your game so... It rewards you continually, and you get lots of time off anyway.
1: So the challenge for a really small entrepreneur, maybe one or two or three-person organization, is the fact that you tend to be the jack of all trades and the master of none. How do you coach people with small organizations to operate more in their unique ability but surround themselves either indirectly or directly with people who can help do the things they don't want to do or the things they're not good at?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, the Colby test, right off the bat, I wouldn't hire unless I did the Colby test first. I mean, you just tell the person, look, our objective in hiring is to put people perfectly in the work that they really love doing. And, you know, you can do the test or not do the test, but if you're not willing to take the test, we're not willing to hire you, okay, Okay. right off the bat. In the states, you get different legislation and different jurisdictions, but... You can explain things in such a way. You can even describe the person in the description of the job. You can say, if you're appropriate for this job, you will love doing this, you'll love doing this, and you'll love working with other people who have these skills. And if you can't honestly say that this is you, don't apply for the job. If you apply for the job and you didn't tell the truth, then you're going to be very unhappy with the job, and we're going to be very unhappy with you. It's kind of like that. A lot of people get freaked out by legalese and everything, but the fact is that if you tell people up front what's going to make them happy and who they have to be to be happy, the vast majority of people will say, you know, why go through the bother of signing up for something that I'm going to be miserable at? You know, there's exceptions, and that's the first thing that the entrepreneur has to do. They have to create a map of the different skills that it's really needed to run the business enterprise and i understand your focus is car washes but a car wash is just as interesting as any other kind of business on the planet if you have the right people doing the right things and the reason is if you have customers and they notice that everybody in a business enterprise looks like they love doing what they're doing it doesn't matter what the business is you're going to have an overflow of customers because we love going to businesses where everybody working in the business does what they love. So it actually involves marketing, involves how you present yourself to the public. It's not about advertising outside or the color of the paint or anything. It's just, is there excitement and enjoyment going on in this business establishment? I mean, that's how I choose restaurants, they can say anything they want about the food and the chef and everything else. But I've seen great chefs in miserable restaurants because the people just don't enjoy the environment. And I would say it's because mainly there's a mismatch between what people really like to do and what you're asking them to do. So that's the first thing I would do. Now, we developed the idea really further, much further, because we get you to actually define – The Colby is one profile we use. We have other profiles that we do, which are really designed to minimize the possibility of a wrong decision. Things like Colby don't guarantee success, but they minimize failure. Right. You know, as an entrepreneur, you're a risk taker and you're a betting person. You're betting something where there's a risk on the future. When you hire somebody, you're betting that if you invest money and time in this individual, you're gonna get a payoff. But I'd like to, as a good betting man, I'd like to minimize the possibility of a really bad bet. Sure. That's the way I wanna do it. And the other thing is, you don't want high turnover. You'd like to find someone that you can really grow the business with. We have 120 team members in coach because we're in three time zones and we're in eight different cities more than 70 of them have been with us for more than 10 years. We're starting to get 25-year people. We're 28 years old, company-wise, and we have people, a couple of now have crossed the 25-year line, and they love what they're doing. I mean, they just come in every day, and some of them, when they first had young families, I always noticed they came in, you know, after the weekend, and they would say, thank God it's Monday. (laughs) Because, you know, at home, they're dealing with a Two year old tyrant, you know, who doesn't care whether they're enjoying the activity or not, you know. But when they go to work, you know, they got people who appreciate them and enjoy working with them, so they get this payoff. So that's really where we want to start, David, is getting this mapping out of people. And the entrepreneur has to tell the truth about this. You can't get anyone else to tell the truth about what they love and don't like doing unless the entrepreneur is the role model. So I'm super, super honest inside my company about, you know, that activity, you know, I do it all the time, and I always thought I was the only one that could do it, but I said, after three months from now, I'm not going to do that anymore, so I'm going to put it out there in the team. I'm just going to put it out there. Does anybody want to do this? Because three months from now, I'm just not going to do this anymore. You know, people come forward. I'd love to do that, but you would never... Have them come forward if you didn't tell them that you're just not going to do that anymore and that if they can do it, they're going to be a hero. But it's got to be right for them.
1: Right.
2: You know, I don't want them to do it just so that they can suck up and be near me. You know, that's not really my intent there. I really want to create an opportunity for someone to really expand their usefulness and their enjoyment in the company. You know. There's lots of sophisticated books about how you grow a company and everything else, but I've found almost very few of them ever start at the level of analysis that we do. It's almost like they got to be respectable in academic terms or something. But a lot of them, I says, yeah, this isn't really how it works. And usually they're written by professors anyway. And yeah. I said, if they're a full-time professor and they're talking about entrepreneurship, I, I feel there's not a full commitment there.
1: Yeah, agreed with that. You know, you have a great saying, all progress begins with telling the truth. And that's one that I've written down and I keep in front of me because I think it's an important concept that we got to be able to tell ourselves the truth. And when we don't, that's where we have a lot of conflict.
2: Actually, that's the first step of the 12-step program in Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. But You know, I don't say that lightly because workaholism is actually the respectable addiction in America. You know, somebody puts in 70, 80 hour weeks and they work long and everything else. You know, they're a complete and total addict as much as an alcoholic, but it's a respectable addiction. We respect people who are workaholics, Right. maybe not the immediate family and everything else, but everybody says, you know, that guy works hard. He puts in the hours and everything else. I said, well, that's probably just a sign that they're not very smart. They're not being a smart entrepreneur growing a business if they're putting in 70, 80 hours. They're not good at attracting really good team members to the company. Throw in a little shock statement here, but when we were a, I'm just remembering here, I have to go back, a six-person company, I'm in a teamwork relationship with my wife Babs, my wife, actually runs the company, and what I do is I create the new material for all the workshops that the entrepreneurs come to. Our Colby profiles are very similar to each other, but her skills are in really attracting and training really good team leaders, people who manage our teams, and she's got a real gift. And the other thing is she has a real gift for numbers. I could always make money, but I have to tell you, I couldn't always keep money. You couldn't count money. Yeah. You don't want me to have any access to the money whatsoever. I'm given a an allowance, you know. I mean, I mean we're well <laughs> off of that, but quite frankly, I get a certain amount of money put in my ATM every couple of weeks. You know, and I'm as happy as a pig in mud when I get my $1,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't save it. I spend it as fast as I can get it, but Babs make sure that taxes get paid and profits are reached and they're put safely beyond my you reach, access. Yeah. That's a great teamwork. And I needed that because I went bankrupt twice before and I went through a divorce. I always had this ability to sell. I always had this ability to make money, but I just didn't have a grasp of all the other systems and procedures that you have to have in place until I met Babs. And then we really, really started to make great progress. That starts in the mid-1980s, you know, so it's been over 30 years. We've been a very, very successful growing company. But I needed that other person to do that. But one of the big things that Babs insisted on, David, and this makes us very, very different from most entrepreneurial coaching companies is our insistence on free time so that when you're away, your team can become a self-managing company, and that's unique ability and unique ability teamwork, which we've talked about here. But the next step up is the self-managing company. You want to be able to go away for two weeks. The max that I think Babs and I would be away without contact with the company would be probably in the neighborhood of about two weeks. But when we go away for two weeks, we don't phone, we don't email, there's no contact between us and the company, and quite frankly, I don't think about it. We train people for those times when we're away, and that's how the team grows. You don't know how good a team you have until they can't get in contact with you, and they have to deal with the situations, and they have to act like leaders, they have to act like owners. And that's how you grow your team. And if you're always there to rescue them, they'll never grow. I would rather my team fail, learn, and get better than for me to rescue them. People do not grow when the owner rescues them. The other thing is that if you rescue somebody rather than let them experience how to transform a failure, they will learn the wrong lessons from that and it will make them a bad employee for the rest of their life.
1: That's a great point. That's a great point. So, how many free days are you taking now a year? I think that'd be important for everybody to
0: understand.
2: It's 155 out of 365 days. It's 155 free days. If you count that in weeks, it's 22 weeks out of the 52 weeks. So, we work 30 weeks of the year. Now, we take it in different ways. I never work on Saturdays. I like Saturday to be a completely free day. I work on Sundays. I do a lot of writing on Sunday. It's a very congenial day for me to write on because there's hours where, you know, I can just really concentrate. But Saturdays, for the most part, every Saturday is a free day. And then we have our vacations and we'll have long weekends. We have a cottage. We're in Toronto. So north of us is some of the really best cottage country in the world. Minnesota has this thing, the land of 10,000 lakes. Ontario's got 100,000 lakes. Yeah, It's very much of a tradition in this part of Canada that cottages play a very, very large part in a lot of people's thinking during the summer. And you have a short season, you know, because we're north. But from June through to the middle of October, it's really glorious. So we'll go up for four or five times, and three of those will be full weeks, and we might have four-day weekends We do that, and then uh, we have other places. Babs and I both love New York. We love London. I spend probably two and a half to three weeks a year in London because we have our company there, and then New York, which is only an hour away from us by White We'll do two weeks, maybe three weeks a year in New York. It's kind of funny i'm a farm boy, but ever since I was young i'm a farm boy who always wanted to live in big cities. Toronto's got about six million people, you know, and it's getting to be a really interesting city. yeah, I like cities, but I also love being in nature, you know, so for me, i don't like the in between it's either nature with lakes and forests and wetlands and mountains and hills or it's Times Square, <laughs>
1: right, right in the <laughs> in middle new of York. it,
2: right in the yeah, middle of it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I do different things, but I get away, and I have to tell you, I don't do business on those free days. I'm a real detective, you know, murder mystery kind of guy. I love coming across a new mystery detective writer who's written 25 books because I'll binge. I read history. I'm a crazy history nut ever since I was a kid. I like knowing where things come from i have a passion for american history especially how the united states was created and the constitution and how this country was put together and everything else which makes me very interested in politics i mean the last 2 years was like ice cream sundays every day it was just uh, <laughs> fascinating in all my years which goes back more than 50 60 years of following politics in the U.S. the last two years have just been supremely entertaining and interesting to me.
1: Yeah. We've gotten in a few discussions about that.
2: So yes, we have. People got their different views on that, but I have mine, you know. And I have to tell you my politics are very simple. I'm for any policy that supports entrepreneurial freedom and I'm against anything that restricts entrepreneurial freedom. And I don't care which party it is. I don't know which candidate it is. The one who favors entrepreneurism has my vote and support. And the one who looks like they're going to put restrictions on, they don't have my support. That's my yeah. 100% yeah. political position now and forever.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. We've got one more subject we'll talk about, and then we'll wrap it up. Mm-hmm. I want to be sensitive to your time, Dan. But the other concept I think that has really made a big difference for me, you introduced a couple of years ago. It's one of those concepts that's so simple, but yet it's so brilliant, and it's the concept of the four C's, and you've written a book about that that you've given us. Do you want to quickly describe the four C's and the importance of that as an entrepreneur to be thinking about?
2: Yeah, and this is one of those concepts if, you know, the listeners have a sheet of paper and they just draw four boxes, two boxes, and then underneath them, two boxes, so, you know, you have four boxes together. I'll start with the upper left-hand box, and I'm going to write the word confidence in it, that the vast majority of people will not take action to do something new unless they guarantee themselves that they have the confidence to do it. But the truth is that most people who create new things go into motion. They actually will try to create something before they actually have the confidence to do it, So people will say, well, what I really mean is that I want the capability to do it before I do it. So, you know, you have the upper left is confidence and then the lower left is capability. But most entrepreneurs are people who do very significant things, make a decision and go into motion before they have a capability, too. The punchline is that you start with the upper right one and you put the word commitment And what commitment means, David, is that you see a future result and you commit yourself to achieving that future result before you actually have the capability and confidence. And in fact, the capability and confidence have to be grown after you make the commitment to it. And this is the 5% who become entrepreneurs. I think it's probably 5% of the population who can commit themselves to getting a future result before they're guaranteed that they're going to have the capability and confidence to do it. And then what that requires is the fourth C, which is the lower right one, is that you have to be willing to go through a period of courage. Courage simply means that even though it's uncomfortable, there could be anxiety with it, you're willing to go through that to create something new, and it's actually the combination of commitment and courage that actually creates the new capability. You put the word out there, I'm going to create this new thing, and then all of a sudden, it's almost like radio signals go out to the world, and the right resources start moving towards your commitment, and the right people start moving, and all of a sudden, you got yourself an enterprise, and at a certain point, you've actually created the capability a new kind of team, a new kind of method, a new kind of process. And then you get a big whack of confidence as a reward for pulling that off. And then you do it again, but you're at a higher level of confidence so you can make a bigger commitment. You'll have a higher level of courage, produce another capability. And it's just this revolution from commitment, courage, capability, confidence. Now, here's the thing. Anyone who's successful, if they use this 4C model and they go back and they examine everything in their life, they don't have to be entrepreneurs. This is a human thing, any human. I think all 7.4 billion people on the planet as of today, I guess, if they examine where they've made their biggest improvements in life, it was where they followed this 4C of actually committing themselves going through a period of courage, new capability gets created, then they get a payoff and higher confidence. So it's just the opposite of the way that most people approach life. And this is why entrepreneurs are kind of unusual people. But here's the thing. Do you have children, David?
1: Yes, yes. I've got two boys. How old? They're 23 and 21.
2: Yeah. Well, you can learn this at any time, but let's say they're 23 and 21 and they're up against something. They want to do something, but they're feeling a lack of confidence and capability to do it. You say, look, that gets created, but what do you have to commit to now that kind of tells you the thing, you know? And commitment is simply, I'm going to perform an action, and there's going to be a measurement on it. In other words, there's a result, and the result is the measurement of the commitment, but it has to be by a deadline I think the reason is that the human brain's been around for a long time, you know, through millions of individuals, and it's gotten more and more powerful over the years. And I think the two things that the human brain instantly responds to is a deadline and a measurable result. The moment you give the human brain two things, a deadline and a measurable result, you got full attention and you got full use of all your mental capabilities. Then you get the emotional hit. The fear that you feel with courage is mostly adrenaline, and adrenaline is a very powerful drug. So a lot of people say, I just feel uncomfortable, and I says, well, it's adrenaline, you're getting an adrenaline rush. Most people associate it with getting angry, but it actually is just a function of taking on something that's bigger than your present level. But I was thinking, you know, one time everybody talks about a new kind of educational system, And I said, I could accomplish an entirely new educational system on the planet just by teaching children as soon as you possibly could how to do the four C's. So if you can imagine a six, seven or eight year old who every time they come up against something where they have to grow, which is kind of scary to them, they say, well, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to go through a period of courage and I'm going to create a new capability, and then I'll have a higher level of confidence. And they know this as soon as they learn their ABCs. They would design their education according to what they're passionate about, and you wouldn't have to worry about children for the rest of your life, and you wouldn't have to supervise them because they would do things right just because they understood that this is how things are created. So that's the basic U of the four Cs. But you can see in the entrepreneurial world this would just be – one of the great central skills you could have as an entrepreneur. And it would also be a great central skill that you teach all your team members.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've used this so many times with my team members, helping them get through that process of they're not going to have confidence at first. They develop confidence through making sure they're committed to the process. And when they develop capability, then they'll start seeing confidence. But I think you're right. A lot of us get confused and think we should have confidence up front. Yeah. on that. But it's such a brilliant idea and it's so simple and it's made such a big impact with me and that I've been excited about sharing that with other people. Yeah. And I I know we're up against a hard time to yeah. stop here but I want to ask you just two more questions real quick and I'll let you go. Tell me how many entrepreneurs that you've helped or developed over the last 25 35 years.
2: Well, in the 28 years, we're somewhere between 17,000 and 18,000. We sum it up we have a fiscal year coming up in a few weeks we'll know the numbers at that time but that's the range and personally I'm you know between 6 and 7000 entrepreneurs that I've coached where they've been on a quarterly basis they spend 8 hours with me minimum so this goes back I've been doing it either one on one or in a workshop program for 43 years I figure I have somewhere like fifty to 60,000 hours of discussions with entrepreneurs about what works mm-hmm. and what doesn't work. So, yeah. And I love the activity, so it's not work for me. It's just pure enjoyment.
1: Yeah, you've been a big inspiration for me, watching you work in your unique ability and Really defining that as energy giving rather than energy draining. And Mm -hmm. I see you at the end of a class and my energy level is up after getting to spend a day with you. And and it's hard for me to go to sleep that night because of all the thoughts I have. But I also see you transform where you've got more energy at the day than you did at the beginning. And that's a great testament to you using your unique ability
2: i just had a period in december december is a short coaching month for us because after about the 20th the world stops this past one i did seven workshops in 11 days i have to tell you at the end of that seventh workshop day i i was flying you know i wasn't worn out by it at all and it just proves the point that if you get yourself positioned in the activities that give you energy You don't get tired, you don't get bored, you don't get fatigued. So, you know, I'm 72, and I have full plans right now to be as active, if not more active, and energetic when I'm 95 than I am right now. And the thing is that there's nothing that I'm going to be doing over the next 22 years, 23 years that drains me. I just don't get drained of any energy. I don't go away on free days because I'm tired. I go away on free days to disconnect and give our team a chance to grow while we're away. It's not because I'm tired. It's not because I'm worn out. I am far, far more energetic at 72 than I was at 52.
1: It's amazing. It's amazing. So there Mm -hmm. might be entrepreneurs out there that want to learn more about Strategic Coach and what you do. Can you give them some ideas of where to go to find out about Strategic Coach?
2: Yeah, we have a great self-explanatory website that they can go to, which is www.strategiccoach.com. You know, if they want to, you know, as a result of that, have a conversation with one of our consultants just to see if it matches up with them, then we have a 1 800 number. This is North American wide 1 800 387 3206. 1 800 387 3206. And just ask to talk to a sales consultant we want there to be a matchup. So, you know, I mean, we're not going to sell somebody into the program if it's not appropriate for them. Right. We're looking for people who really want to grow, but they want a more formal structure and they want to be surrounded by a community to actually support them to do that. What they work on when they come to our workshops is their stuff. It's not theory. It's what their plans are and what their situation is as far as building their team and everything. That's what they work on when they come to the workshop. So it's very practical. But we want it to work for them. We're not selling this to sell it. We want to create a situation where you know this is the next step for the person who really wants to grow.
1: Right. It's been a great journey for me for the past five, six years. So I want to say thank you so much, Dan, for your time today. It's an honor for me to get to visit with you personally. And it's been a pleasure. And I want to personally thank you for all you've done for me just by creating a strategic coach, what that's done to me in my entrepreneurial journey. And it's just made me a better business person, a better person. So I want to personally thank you so much for that. And I want to thank you for joining us on this podcast.
2: Well, thank you very much. And you've given me a real gift and being able to talk to some people that I otherwise wouldn't have been in contact with. So this is As much a pleasure for me as it is for you. So thank you very much.
0: All right, Dan. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, High Performance Wash Systems. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Carwashing.